Hello everyone, I'm Deborah, New Narrative's Membership Engagement Manager. Since March 2020, Malaysia has been placed under several Movement Control Orders, or MCOs, that restrict movement and business operations in order to curb COVID-19 infections. However, the MCOs have also resulted in rising unemployment, business closures and increased food insecurity. Cash aid from the government has been dispersed in several stages, with the next one only due to arrive in August 2021. As the country faces increasing economic difficulties in the wake of the pandemic, mutual aid funds have sprung up around Malaysia to provide food and cash aid to affected communities. However, LGBTQIA people face an extra hurdle when it comes to accessing aid. Fears of discrimination, being dead named, and an increasingly hostile environment toward queer people prevents them from accessing aid from public COVID-19 funds. In this episode, I speak to Nisha Ayub from Seed Foundation and Connie Connor, an organizer with the Queer Solidarity Fund, about the need for LGBTQIA specific mutual aid funds that are more gender inclusive and how the queer community in Malaysia has organized themselves against the backdrop of an increasingly hostile environment. For the sake of full transparency, I'd like to disclose that I have previously donated to both Seed Foundation and the Queer Solidarity Fund. If you enjoy what we're doing, please support our work by becoming a member of New Narrative at newnarrative.com join. Memberships start at just 52 US dollars a year. That's just $1 a week. Or you can donate at newnarrative.com donate. And check out our website at newnarrative.com for more stories from Southeast Asia. And now, here's the interview. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. How are you doing? Good. Um, I'm doing good, thank you. And how are you? I'm very well, and I'm excited to talk about today's topic, which is LGBTQIA plus mutual aid. So Nisha, maybe we could start with some introductions. You co-founded Seed Foundation, which aims to empower people who are socially excluded in Malaysia. One of Seed's previous projects included setting up a home for the most socially excluded community in Malaysia, elderly, homeless, transgender people. Can you tell us more about yourself and what led you to dedicate yourself to this line of work? Okay, so basically, this has been my passion uh, since the beginning, uh, basic to assist yeah um, the community from all from from all angle yeah in regards of their background, age, or whatsoever. And what led me to this is because of my own personal experience as a transgender person in Malaysia. And as as we are all aware, yeah, the situation of uh, the LGBT community, uh, the transgender community is not recognized yeah recognized in the system in malaysia itself and we are constantly being being attacked uh or or being used yeah being used as a political tool uh being used as 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 a religious tool and we become victim and we become ostracized from society yeah so with that situation itself and with my own personal experience being discriminated being put in jail for being who i am um i wanted to do something and i wanted to help the community to speak up yeah on the situation that they're facing right now uh as time passes by i've 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 noticed that it's just not about you know voicing out and speaking up but at the same time i noticed there is other needs of the community including social welfare, you know, community support, um, 
a house <laughs> and all those stuff. Yeah. So that's where uh, myself and Mitch, uh, uh, Mitch Yusma is a trans man. So we both engaged together and we said we need to do something about this. And we basically set up seat. Yeah. And from that drop-in center uh, located in Chowkit, it's basically known as a rural area. I mean, sorry, a red-like area. Yeah. Um, we, we had a drop-in center uh, where we opened to homeless and, every, and, and, and we also opened to not just transgender women, but to also female sex workers. Yeah. So we have, uh, because our tagline is nobody gets left behind. So we, we are very inclusive. And later on, I started to realize that there are a lot of elderly trans women who needed shelter. Yeah, they mostly have been abandoned by their family. And that's where I, I told myself that, you know, we need to open a shelter. I wouldn't call it shelter, I call it home, yeah? A home for the community. And it started like, it's been four years already. Yeah, and uh, till today, we have managed to... Uh, give shelter to nearly 40 people. I've been 30, 30 plus, nearly 40 people uh, that has uh, actually access to that shelter till today. Connie, what about you? You are part of the organizing team of the Queer Solidarity Fund in Sabah. Could you tell us more about yourself and the work that you do? Okay, hello. My name is Connie Connor. Yes, I am one of the organizing team member lah, the untuk QSF, Queer Solidarity Fund. I am one, uh, I am from Sabah, obviously. Lah. So what did I do? Um, I sort of do things uh, here and there, you know, like freelancing and most of them are about advocacy, like for queer people in Sabah. So uh, in this uh, fundraising, in this mutual aid fund we did, my role was contacting uh, the beneficiary person, like, uh, I asked them what can we provide them, what they need, This is basically, yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's the thing I did. Both Seed Foundation and Bantara Kata, along with Gender and Sexuality Alliance Kota Kinabalu, or GSAKK, have created funds that are targeted towards LGBTQIA plus people. So let's delve deeper into the work you both have been doing during this pandemic. Connie, fundraising for the Queer Solidarity Fund was launched on 9th May 2020. Why did your organization feel the need to start a solidarity fund specifically for the queer community in Sabah? So actually, Queer Solidarity Fund was organized by Jesse Bentarakata and basically a group of friends. So when the first MCO happened, we all know how it was, right? So everyone was restricted from going out and shops are closed. So many of the transgender women in Sabah, they lost their jobs and not they don't have enough savings to sustain themselves. Also, actually most of them are sex workers and or undocumented. So who is undocumented? They don't uh, they don't have they cannot apply for fund from the government. So for them who are sex workers. They cannot go out and do do their jobs, right? So, also if they uh, apply for the fund from the government, they can be criminalized. So, how did this funding happen? Is some of us are actually in crisis response group chat together with uh, Justice for Sister, the GFS, and actually Sid. So 
SEED actually has been organizing a fundraiser for uh, specifically for uh, queer people. So in this MCO, they share with Sabahan trans community too. So that that is how it happens. It's like that. Are there factors that make LGBTQIA plus people in Sabah more vulnerable than, say, people from the community in Peninsula Malaysia? Yeah, of course. Uh, first of all, we don't have enough readings about LGBTQ uh, in Sabah. Also, like language, you know, most of the LGBTQ uh, readings are in English or more English, you know. And then same with what I said just now, most of the trans women here are working as sex workers or, and working in saloon uh, like that. So, yeah, I think every one of the transgender women in Sabah need to be empowered more. Lah. Sabah is also a state with the highest number of stateless people in Malaysia. And you mentioned that some of the people you were helping were undocumented. How does a person's documented status complicate receiving aid? Could they apply for aid from other organizations or NGOs? Okay, I think uh, one of uh, one of the reason lagi kenapa because they most of them are in uh, rural uh, in rural areas. So to get out for them to get out and go to see to the city to buy groceries and you know stuff. It's hard because they are scared to get caught by, you know, the authority, something like that. So we have, uh, we, I mean, my team, we actually drove to their place and actually uh, meet them face to face so that they feel safe and to receive the groceries and everything. And, and for, you know, listeners outside Malaysia, what should be noted is that um, there has been increased police presence in public areas since these MCOs started. So that could definitely make people more afraid to go out and get help, as Connie mentioned. Nisha, before the pandemic, Seed Foundation provided hot meals for people at its drop-in centre. Uh, were you able to continue this once the first movement control order was instated? Uh, okay, so... Um... When it started, you know, when when uh, the MCO started last year, uh, at the beginning we had some issues because you know everybody was not allowed to do anything, including NGOs. Yeah, so uh, but we managed to engage with the local authorities to get uh, approval. Yeah, to continue our food, uh, cook food, uh, for the community around the, that area. And uh, thank God. Um, we also managed to get uh, support from people out there that constantly, you know, whether they sponsor food, daily food, or whether they financially support us, and we will manage to continue the food distribution. Uh, and one thing I just want to share here is that there has been, there's been like increase of numbers of people coming to our center. Uh, it started with. With, with 30 to 40 people, yeah? and the next thing you know, now we are di- giving out daily from 250 cook food uh, for, for the community there. And, and, is, and so this is ongoing right now, do you, and you do this every day? Yes, 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 we are still doing it every day, sorry, not, not every day, uh, we are giving, giving, giving out daily cook food from Monday to Friday, uh, not just lunch, but 
depending on how much of sponsors that we get on on daily basis. So sometimes we give lunch, and after lunch, if you have if you have more food to be given, we will be give it out like around uh, tea time, for instance. And you're you're distributing two hundred to two hundred and fifty meals Monday to Friday. Wow, so that's a huge increase in number of people who need help during the pandemic. Yeah. And just I just want to share one part, may I, if you don't mind? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um. Uh, what I've noticed, uh, the increased numbers is just not from the community. Yeah, not from the uh, transgender or the female sex workers or you know uh, people around that area. I I've seen as though, you know, cisgender people, especially elderly people, coming to our center to seek assistance, and not just that, we also open our doors to undocumented. Uh, Uh, community in that area, uh, because again, in seed, our we, we don't discriminate people. Yeah, uh, anyone that comes to our door to seek for assistance, whether it's uh, whether it's food or whether it's groceries, we will help them as much as we can. Yeah, I really love that no one gets left behind ethos of seed. Maybe could you talk about some of the challenges you you faced while distributing aid during the pandemic? So you said that yeah, you know, not everyone was allowed to distribute aid. Um, so yeah, could you talk a little bit more about those challenges you faced? Yes, you know, because at at the beginning when we started the uh, the MCO, uh, uh, everyone was clue, clueless. You know, uh, there were not much of information what we can do, uh, how we can you know uh, continue our work and so on. So there is lack of information, and not just that. Uh, at the same time, we the 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 one that is, I mean, uh, our team in 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 seat were unable to actually travel from their house to the location itself. So it it was a difficult moment uh, at at the beginning when within one month actually, you know, we were hustling each other trying to find out, trying to figure out. But uh, thank God, you know, thank God that uh, we managed to get get in touch with the local authorities and get and and get uh, approval from them, and not just approval. Uh, Even we have some policemen that tends to come there uh, sometimes to help us to actually uh, manage the crowd. Yeah, because again, you know, uh, yes, there is need to assist them, but we have to ensure that everybody is also protected. Right, and so you know, you you've you're continued giving out cooked meals, and you've been able to increase the number of cooked meals you were giving out. So why did you feel the need to start a trans solidarity fund in twenty twenty? Okay. Uh, first of all, um, it started actually when when you know when the MCO started. Uh, we uh, same thing what uh, Connor mentioned uh, earlier on. You know when when the when the pandemic started. You know the MCO started. Uh, the most affected was the uh, sex workers. Yeah, uh, the transgender sex worker, female sex workers, and they were not able to work, and of course they were not able to get assistance. So uh, we started locally in that area per se, and started to fundraise, and and you know as as in social media, <laughs> it worked wonders, and and we started to get requests from other community on in other states in other areas, and that's where I told myself uh, because I'm also I'm also a part I'm also the co-founder of uh, Justice for Sisters, and so uh, you know I told to, to, to the team in JFS Tilagada. Uh, Yeah, that we need to do something about this. You know, let's 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 combine each other and let's make a fund where we can support everybody. Yeah, 
so from there, from one state to another state, we end up reaching out to Sabah and Sarawak. <laughs> I mean, honestly, uh, it, it may sound like a success, but for me, it, it was kind of sad because, you know, to see that uh, the community is always been uh, left out, you know, uh, why I say so, because, you know, as 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 uh, as the government is saying that they are giving aid for this this this, but however, because again, yeah, because again we are not recognized here, therefore we are not a part of the system, and even uh, cisgender people are not receiving the aid that they are supposed to receive. You know, if it then 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 you can imagine how about the marginalized community too, yeah, so. At the same time, it was a success that we managed to reach out to everyone. But at the same time, I feel sad to see that this is happening to the community, even in such pandemic situation. Yeah, I think I think that while it is heartwarming to see people contributing to the fund, I think you're right, Nisha. It does reflect the systemic failure that you know it means that this kind of grassroots organizing is necessary. Um, and yeah, you said that the Trans Solidarity Fund is meant for people all over the country. How have you coordinated aid distribution for the community outside of Kuala Lumpur, where you're based? Again, social media. <laughs> we managed to get in touch with uh, local, uh, what, what do you call, focal point, yeah? Oh. Uh, local focal point in each state. And uh, we, we had a Facebook group and so on. Uh, basically, uh, we have our own uh, transgender Facebook group too, yeah. So that's how we manage to engage with everyone in in, in each state. Um, and I must say, among the community our, ourselves, uh, we are very we are very strong in mobilizing in, in within the community all around Malaysia, and that's how we we basically engage to get data from each each state uh, from the community, yeah. Um, and uh, like for instance, uh, in 2020, when we reached out to Sabah, uh, most of the time I was only connected to uh, KK, yeah, uh, Kota Kinabalu, uh, because of uh, a friend of mine which is based there, yeah. Uh, but with that, with that situation of, of of COVID pandemic, yeah, uh, all of a sudden we had tremendous requests from the community in Sampurna, yeah. Uh, and I must say, uh, based on the numbers, the highest request was from Semporna, uh, Sabah, and Sarawak, and uh, the other states is Trungano. Yeah. So this pandemic, yes, uh, if you look at it, it's it, it, it's a horrible situation. Yeah. However, it has also brought the community community together. This is one thing I noticed, and uh, not just that, we also managed to uh, empower the community to actually, you know. Uh, uh, mobilize themselves to get data right and to distribute uh, uh, those groceries to them and I'm, I'm just amazed I'm just amazed with them all around the other states because you know without them we, we are not able to assist anyone in in that in those states yeah I'm glad to hear that you know despite all the challenges there there are some positive things that are coming out of this and so yeah i mean I, I think you know i'd like to talk about the response to the fundraising you know what was the response to your fundraising appeal like and, and both of you can answer this I, i'd like to know how did the public respond to your appeal for funds 
Uh, I must say it was positive. Uh, we did not had any, uh, I mean, from my side, but we did not a- had any negative, what do you call this, uh, feedback or whatsoever, yeah, from 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 anyone. And uh, I was also shocked at the beginning that uh, we were able to, uh, you know. Because we we had a certain target at that time, uh, so the first MCO we targeted, if I'm not mistaken, it was forty thousand, and in within a month we managed to get that forty thousand ringgit, and for this second target we 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 targeted for fifty thousand, but we managed to get around sixty eight thousand ringgit, so and it was like in 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 a very short time, yeah. So I'm just thankful, and we, we are still continuing uh, uh, to to seek support. Uh, but at the same time, we are still finding, hoping, yeah, hoping to get local support at each state because it would be so much easier if we have support, uh, local support to 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 give uh, support to the community. You know, it's just not about you know giving groceries, but it's also about being there for them. You know, and and I I'm glad that Connor is there. Uh, for the community, and you know, at least the community knows that you know there is a space. I mean, uh, there is a support system in Sabah, right? So, but there are other states where we don't have that support system. Yeah, and 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 what was the response like in Sabah um, to the Queer Solidarity Fund, Connie? So the response was there are people saying that the you know the Queer Solidarity Fund the word is very specific only for queer people, uh, and then. At first, it was hard for us to get fun because we only got like four thousand something. So we asked for friends from Quilapis and Jeff Street to share out our fundraiser. Yeah, so we asked for them to share out our fundraiser in their social media. So that actually boosts our amount of uh, amount of funds we get from that point. Yeah, so just like what Nisha was saying, Sempurna, yes, we had like 99 packs person, people of applying the fund. Yeah, that's all I think the response we get. And, and why was Sempurna more hard hit or why were there more requests coming from Sempurna? Okay, so why? I think because uh, most, of the, more, most of them are undocumented. And then because of that, it's hard for them to apply for fund from the government. It's uh, the place they they're living at was not uh, hard to get to buy things. I mean, the shop are near their house, but you know they don't have money because they don't have jobs, and also they cannot uh, apply for fund from the government, right? So that's why they are they Sempurna has the most. Uh, application lah for the fundraising. Okay, you know, it seems like from what you said, Connie, there were some maybe, uh, critiques or or about the fact that you were creating a queer solidarity fund, a, a mutual aid fund specifically for queer people. So, could you maybe explain why was it necessary to create a mutual aid initiative that targets LGBTQIA plus peoples? Okay, just like what I said lah, just now I said that uh, most of us, uh, I mean most of the 
LGBTQ people are not eligible to apply for fund from government because uh, some of them are undocumented, mostly lah in Sabah, and then some of them are sex workers, and they can be criminalized. So that's why they not they are not eligible. Mm-hmm. And 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 Nisha, you mentioned this as well earlier. You said that you know LGBTQ people are not recognized in Malaysia and that was part of why you felt the need to start the to start seed foundation and also start you know um the trans solidarity fund um but you know maybe could you talk about what are like the practical obstacles or challenges people face trying to get aid when they are um trans or um you know other LGBTQIA identities Okay, um, I think the most difficult part would be in within the community is specifically when it comes to the appearances. Yeah, um, <clears throat> because when you are, example, a transgender person, uh, you know, whether trans man or trans woman, uh, when we do not uh, reflect in our ID card, you know, that becomes the main obstacle. Like for us to even just to you know, apply for any aid from the government, yeah? whether it's social welfare, whether it's, whether, it, whether it's just even groceries, right? And at the same time, it's, it's, it's so not just the system, but also the, the um, I would say the, the environment, yeah, of, of, of uh, in certain areas whereby people will just judge a person based on their appearances, right? So when a trans person tends to go, um, let me give an example. You know, if, if if she or he wants to apply, right, for social welfare, right, automatically, uh, we will not be given the priority because, first of all, if you want to uh, get social welfare, you have to be, you know, either married, you have to have you know, whether you have kids and so on, you know, even even to get, uh, to apply for government housing, yeah, there is certain clause where you have to be, again, married, have kids, you know, so it's specifically for the cisgender people, yeah, but when it comes to community like us, automatically we are not being uh, recognized as, our, as, as a part of that, uh, whether it's part of the system and so on, right? So that becomes uh, the main obstacle, right? And if you talk about even uh, the environment itself, right? When when a transgender person goes to the hospital, as soon as he or she, right, whether it's trans man or trans woman, goes to the hospital, and people were to realize that you know we are different, or someone were to read our IC, automatically it becomes an 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 an, an obstacle or barrier where people will tend to then discriminate us based on who we are, you know? So that kind of, uh, uh, what do you call this, uh, basic uh, uh, obstacle that it, trans people has to face just because of our gender, ex- uh, sorry, uh, just because our, uh, of our expression and our gender identity, yeah? So this is why, as, as what Connor mentioned and I mentioned earlier, right, uh, because 
the situation here in Malaysia where the LGBT issue has constantly been used, whether from the political side or from the religious perspective, uh, this, the public, you know, tends to react in certain ways towards the community. Yeah, And even in such pandemic situation, the community is then afraid to actually reach out because they know that, you know, we are not uh, being recognized in our own country. Yeah, And this is where uh, uh, we at SEED, yeah, and I believe Corner, Corner too, right? That 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 we need to do something. We need to uh, uh, reach out to to help the community because of this situation here. Yeah, I think that's that's a really good point. How government aid is really structured around the family in Malaysia, and how that can, you know, seem innocent on the surface, but ends up really discriminating against people. Um, and another you know, way in which I think I'd be interested to hear from you both um, is the way aid has been given out during the pandemic. So as part of its pandemic response, the Malaysian government has allowed people to withdraw from their Employees Provident Fund or EPF, which is a national retirement scheme. Um, And as you mentioned, I think both of you mentioned the communities you serve, many of the people are engaged in sex work. Some of them are undocumented. So is this even something that the community that you work with is able to do? Yes, most of them are sex workers and and or undocumented. But they are um, like a group of them actually are working as in saloon, like hairstylist, uh, wedding planner. Yeah, wedding planner, yes. Uh, Yes, wedding planner too. Yeah, so... Not just sex worker. So sectors that have really been affected by the pandemic. Yeah, um, um, I, I agree with Connor. Yeah, because uh, even in within the community, there is layers of, uh, I mean, not to be discriminative, yeah, but this, this is the reality. Yeah, uh, Some of them are fortunate enough to, to have education and so on. So they are able to, you know, have uh, employment, right? And they will benefit in this, uh, you know, KWSP, which I think is actually not not helping anyone. We are they are just asking us to take up our own money. Uh, <laughs> but uh, there are also some of uh, the community is where you know they come from a uh, below B40, yeah, because we have the B40 but the M40. So there are there are some of the community which is below B40, yeah. So they do not have their resources. They don't even have daily. I mean monthly income and so on you know they are dependable on daily income and um, they don't have KWSP and so on so they do not benefit from all this kind of uh, what you call this I don't know whether we can call this as, as, as an aid <laughs> <laughs> yes um, that initiative by the government to allow people to take out their retirement savings has definitely been very criticized because it's eating into people's future savings. So yes, it's debatable whether we could call that aid. Um, So yeah, I I think, uh, you know, this is something we touched on earlier, and I I would like to to go back that to this. Um, Malaysia is always a hard place to be LGBTQIA+. It's, you know, there's very, there's often very intense homophobia and transphobia but we've seen an increase in anti-LGBTQIA plus rhetoric by the authorities most recently Ahmad Marzuk 
Shari, a deputy minister in the Prime Minister's department in charge of religious affairs, said sterner action would be taken against those who insult Islam and promote LGBT lifestyles online. How does this affect your work? I mean, <clears throat> this is not the first time uh, when we have someone from you know uh, that level or from the minister right, uh, give out such statement. And uh, as I always say, you know, when we have our leaders and ministers giving out such statement, it actually creates an environment which is more hostile towards the community. Yeah. And when it comes to my work, you know, as, as an activist, as a speaker, uh, uh, as, as, as a founder of an organization, yes, I, I, I do fear, fear of the safety of uh, my community out there. Right? And uh, I do fear of the safety of my team in SEED, for instance, you know, uh, not just from, you know, whether it's from the legislation part, but, you know, when you have such leaders going out preaching all the, all the negative statements towards the community, it, ought, it, ought, it automatically creates uh, a situation where you encourage hatred towards the community. And these can then can, can actually make some of the people out there, right, transphobic or homophobic people out there, feel that they have the power to actually act towards the community. And this is what fear me, fear me the most, yeah? So, but uh, with that, with that, with that uh, kind of statement itself, it then clearly shows to the whole world that this is a situation of the community is facing here in Malaysia, and this is the reality, yeah? Because most of the time people tend to talk about you know, the situation in, 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 in other regions and so on. But Malaysia has always been, uh, you know, um, may I use the word left behind here? <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it clearly shows, right, that uh, it's just not the system, but it's, it's also, it, it is also the governance and uh, the leaders, right, uh, that is actually uh, fueling that kind of hatred towards the community. Right. And, and do you have to consider the current climate uh, when you're creating mutual aid funds and aid distribution for the communities you work with? Uh, as for now, yeah, uh, because everyone is uh, constricted, right? <laughs> constricted to move and so on. Uh, again, I'm very thankful that uh, with the uh, organization Seed itself, uh, with our own, uh, you know, being, being recognized as an NGO, yeah, because we, we are a registered NGO, uh, we are able to actually uh, use, I mean, uh, give out letters to the uh, community out there to actually help to move around without any problem, right? Uh, when it comes to giving out this aid, so so far, Touchwood, uh, our fundraising aid and our community out there that is helping us to to give out this aid do not face issues from um, whether it's the police or so on. And, and what about the Queer Solidarity Fund, um, Connie? Was that affected by, you know, this increase in hate speech towards LGBTQIA plus people? Yeah, I can say so because that kind of statement actually can uh, spread hatred uh, to people. And then, yeah, I think it's not a good statement to share like that. So that statement actually can spread uh, misinformation about uh, LGBTQ people because uh, it seems like they are, you know, like 
try to make LGBTQ people bad or, you know, something like that. And when there is a lack of, of clear information, like valid information about the community, yeah, I can see how that would be really damaging. So has GSAKK and Bantarakata continued its Queer Solidarity Fund? Uh, at the moment, uh, GSA and Bantarakata are taking mental health break for the, you know, the fund. But uh, we actually are still running for small uh, mutual aid. Okay, so there are smaller initiatives that are, are ongoing. Yep. Um, and so, you know, Nisha, now that the original Trans Solidarity Fund target has been met, what are Seed Foundation's next plans? So, um, actually, we, we have continued our next plan, which is uh, vaccination. <laughs> so, um, we have managed to assist um, a lot of the community and not just the transgender community, the homeless, even un- undocumented and uh, foreigners uh, in that area itself to get vaccinated, uh, where we, we managed to uh, engage with a center for vaccination. And uh, I'm, I'm just glad that, you know, till today, we are still uh, taking in uh, data of people who wants to be vaccinated to be given to the vaccination center in Kuala Lumpur. So that is one thing that is ongoing. Yeah. Uh, and we are planning, not planning, we, we mean it's something that's also ongoing because this the authority fund will be continued if there's requests. So we are still continuing to uh, seek more requests and support uh, from the public. Yeah. And so it's just not it's just not money per se, donation per se. Uh, if people who want to sponsor groceries, that will be so great. I mean, that would be so good for us. So we are trying our best to continue, uh, you know, uh, the solidarity fund at the same time uh, to also continue uh, whatever that we are doing right now. Great. Um, and I'm so happy to hear that vaccination is also something that you're helping out with because I think that yeah, that's also been an area where many people have actually been left out of the national vaccination plan, or there's just been a lot of difficulty getting to people who aren't tech savvy or in urban areas. So that's fantastic to hear. So yeah, um, what can listeners do to help the communities you are helping? What they can do to help? Um, first of all, do when, whenever, whenever there's any project, or initiative done, please include us. You know, please uh, include the marginalized community. Yeah, and at the same time, uh, try to reach out, reach out to the community in any way that you can, uh, because uh, as much as most of the organization is, I mean, like for instance, in Kuala Lumpur, there's a lot of NGOs, but in other states, in other rural areas, there is lack of that kind of support. So really hope that people will 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 be aware that you know. We exist <laughs> in all region, in all in in all areas of Malaysia. So uh, please, yeah, please do include us in 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 any kind of support or social aid that that you are doing, yeah. And uh, keep spreading uh, awareness uh, in your own circle. I mean, if you have more allies or contacts, it'd be great. 
But you know, you can start small. You know, always start small from your own circle to educate people about the LGBT community, yeah, uh, the issues that we face, and so on, and um, to ensure that you know everyone is not left behind. That's all. Great. And and Connie, what about you? Is there anything, especially people in the peninsula, can help people in Sabah with? Okay, I think uh, people should donate more, like. Um, and then they can self-educate about the queer people or maybe ask for from queer people about LGBTQ, educate themselves. Lah. And then uh, I would like to uh, thank you for organization or collective that has been involved in this uh, fundraising like JFS, SID, and also Chempaka. So, yeah, thank you. That's all. Um, any last messages either of you would like to leave our listeners with? Okay, so I last messages I would like to say that uh, reach out for help if you need help, especially for queer people. Uh, and we here are waiting for you for you to, re- uh, to reach out to us lah, like that. Um, and you, Nisha? Um, I just want to say this, uh, my message is to the community, you know, remember that you're not alone. Uh, again, as what Connor mentioned, reach out and uh, reach out to us. Don't be shy. Um, and for the public, right, um, my only message is that remember, remember that, you know, the pandemic does not discriminate. Yeah, it affects everyone, <laughs> including the minorities. So, you know. Please include us in, in, in whatsoever projects or programs or initiative that you want to do because at the end of the day, we are all human beings. Thank you. Thank you for that really powerful message. Um, thank you to both of you. Um, I think that this is going to be a great episode. Thanks for taking the time to talk to me about this. Um, I really appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Our thanks to Nisha and Connie for joining us on this week's episode of Southeast Asia Dispatches. Next week, be sure to tune in to New Narrative's Political Agenda, our podcast series on current affairs in Singapore. This is Deborah wishing all our listeners a great week ahead. Jumpa lagi!